Hello. Welcome back to the First Issue Club. We are your weekly comic book podcast that guides you through the muddy and murky waters of the comic book industry. Not just that, more specifically, we talk about first issues as the name of our podcast insinuates. Each week covering a couple new books so we can be your accessible reading club and keep you in the know about what's hot, hot, hot to trot in comic books. Today we're going to talk about a couple fun ones. Rogue Planet from Oni and Disaster Inc. from Aftershock. Can't wait to get to those with me today. As always, is the Budget King. Oh yeah. Hey man. Hey. Good to see you, Mike D. Good to see you too, virtually. <laughs> um, we don't have Greg and we don't have Caitlin. What a shame. It is a shame. The two people who bring the most pizzazz and life to our podcast, wouldn't you say? Yep, the most joy, the most glass, glass uh, half full perspective, the most religion. This is going to be a fucked up, boring snore. Yep, snore fest. Turn off your app now. Spoiler alert. Put the put us on to go to sleep. <laughs> um it's great to have you. It's great to talk about comics. Hey, indeed. Yeah. Um so before we get into the books that we wanted to talk about, normally we discuss some news hits. And and this week, hey, it ain't any different than any other week. <laughs> it, it, it's a lot different than any other week. It, it feels like the fucking well, world is ending. <laughs> yes, you're right. It's it's the worst fucking week and maybe one of the darkest in uh, American history. Especially it, our, our lifetime, at least. Our lifetime, certainly. You know what I was thinking the other day? All the time, our parents' generation talks about, like, once-in-a-lifetime sort of events. And even the news says this is a a once-in-a-lifetime sort of thing that you're going to remember forever. I feel like my lifetime has had 30 once-in-a-lifetime events already. (laughs) Do you think it's all relative to everybody? We're on pace for a pretty shitty generation if that's like a a once-in-a-lifetime thing for everyone else. I remember, um, I don't remember what late-night show it was, but they were like, in 2016, when it became 2017, they did this whole riff about how 2016 was the worst year ever. And it was because, like, Prince had died? Yeah, Prince had died, and Trump had got elected president, and they, like, blew it up with, like, a fake TNT thing. Yeah. It was, like, it, on record, 2020, like, how could you be worse than yeah. 2020 now? I mean, we're not even, I don't even think we're halfway through, if at all, close to that or whatever. No. And so, like, this is... Your math is right. <laughs> yes. Okay, thank you. This has got to be, like, the worst year ever. I mean, I guess the Great Depression, like, when people are jumping out of buildings, like, on uh, whatever that was, like, that day when the stock market crashed, like, that day, that's probably pretty bad. But this this is going to give them a run for their money. 2020 will go in the history books as worst year ever. Worst year, especially with the caveat that it's... America isn't in a major war. There we go. Yep, that's great. Yeah. Warless worst year ever. And specifically America's worst year. <laughs> this is great. If this right. were, if this were like a kind of a history podcast, we would be rolling right now. We'd be getting it. People would be like, "Oh yeah, you said you said some historical facts there." <laughs> 
So we're counting them down for you today. <laughs> the top 10 worst years in American history. That's right. Darkest times to get you through your work week. <laughs> so speaking of dark times, if you if you didn't realize all the bad shit that happened and, and unrest that happened and... and uh, the news had to report this. There, there, was, there was news to be had, and, and Fox News did not shy away from reporting the news. And with good, our good friend Sean Hannity, comic book extraordinaire, he chose to report on these news, to po- report on the unrest, to wear a Punisher pin. Now, now, Mike D., what do you think he was expressing when he wore that Punisher pin reporting the news? Well, the insinuation is that you would take into your own hands vigilante justice and just kill people who you don't agree with. Yep. That's my take. It is, it is my take. This, this specific brand of Punisher pin has an um, American flag in the skull, and it's actually a direct reference to a racist comic. Is that a surprise to you, Mike? Nope. It's not. And the, uh, it's not at all. The QAnon, the conspiracy theory people of the world, the racists, they love to throw up a Punisher sign anytime they can. And, and their patron saint, Sean Hannity, liked to dog whistle them and went ahead and threw a Punisher sign up on his lapel. And only we are here to call him out. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck him. Go watch a video of all the times he smokes off camera. You'll be disgusted with that despicable looking man. And uh, whatever. He, you know what? It's like, this would be like Joker riffing on, or sorry, Batman riffing on the Joker. It's like, he's such a fucking villain. Like, why do you say bad shit about him? He just likes that. Like, that's like, he yeah. gets it. He, that makes him stronger. You know, the only thing that kills him is nice, nice compliments, nice thoughts. Hey, Sean Hannity, you didn't look like you ate 100 Twinkies today, you dumb fuck. <laughs> his venom blood is just seeping out of his pores and cleansing right now. Exactly, yeah, I really got him. I hate so much the co-opting of the Punisher. He's cool, for... I'm sorry, like, I, I loved the Punisher as a kid. Oh, growing up, yeah, the Punisher is like... One of my favorite comics. And now it's like, you can't like the Punisher anymore? I get like, wear a Deadpool pin, but not the Punisher. (laughs) So you're saying, so what you're saying is, is that uh, alt-right whack jobs and racists, you can have Deadpool. It will yes, please have have Harley Quinn have Deadpool <laughs> have Harley Quinn too, <laughs> but leave leave Punisher alone. Yeah, like two of the most beloved icons, I would willingly give if we could away. I'm not giving them anything. <laughs> You're not allowed to read comic books anymore, you pieces of shit. And here's why: comic books are about understanding each other. They're about altruism they're about being the good guy and it sucks that that there are some racists out there that have that have ruined it for everybody racists you've been the enemies in comics for <laughs> since comics existed do you right think, yeah do you think that's what gets them going like they love that like they're they're historically a bad guy <laughs> they've always been the bad guy <laughs> 
They're just mis- they're that misunderstood. Like, do you think they see AIM and Hydra and are like, that's me, hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's a complete lack of subtlety in most comics and their parallel to, like, saying fuck you to racists. Right? right? Yeah. It's, it's the ultimate bad. Like, I yeah. don't know. I have a disconnect with the world. It's, it's weird that so many people... Large, and this sounds weird to say this because these, these people don't listen to our podcast. And if you do stop, go away. I don't want you to listen yeah, to my you. podcast. Yeah, fuck you. We don't want you to listen. Yeah. Um, but there are so many people that are closet racists that feel really empowered and, and like that our president is also a closet racist and they like yeah. to vote for him. And right. I say that there's a lot of people because a, a significant amount of people go and vote and do that. And I, and I don't believe it's completely a subconscious. I think that there is a part of them that identifies with the idea that they are made to feel better by being white and in power and voting for him. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I love when we tell people not to listen to our podcast. That's cool. Yeah. Like when we get so big that we're like, fuck you, turn off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you just turn it off right the fuck now. Because hey. a lot of people, they just take whatever they can get, but not us. <laughs> If it means broadcasting to only seven people that we know for sure aren't racist, I'm happy with All right. Beck was watching a video with dogs in it. Ooh, that's a good reason. Yeah. Now he's going fucking he's going fucking bonkers again. Um Can you hear it? A little bit. It's coming up to like almost yellow on my audition thing. Which is crazy given, like, I've got a door shut and these curtains up. Uh, I'm not picking it up, but uh, your mic matters, so. Mike, or, sorry, thank start you. over. Yeah, thank you. Budget King, mm-hmm. what's your take on this? Does Marvel Comics need to come out and say anything about the Punisher? That's, you know what, that's, this, that's a better take than all the bullshit that we just riffed on and the same bullshit that we say all the time. Yeah. I I think they should probably distance themselves from the Punisher. Just like fade away from Punisher comics? I think that they should do something big, a big statement. I think they should just say, "Hey, you know what? The the Punisher is now a black guy that that kills uh oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you know that 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 kills like a white race, subtle white racists." Yeah. You know, like that I think they should go that hard and then that would be that would be awesome. Totally. I mean, that's like DC saying Superman is fighting the Ku Klux Klan. Like that is just like stepping out and saying, "No thank you, you're not welcome here." Here's actually what they should do. They should go a step even further. They should be we say we have a black writer, we have a black illustrator, black letterer, black colorist, and all profits that go from this book go to Black Lives Matter. That would be killer. That would Dude, be awesome. That would be fucking crazy. Yeah. That would, oh my God, everyone would be talking about that. That'd be like headlines everywhere. And they keep it running like forever, you know, <laughs> like that would be awesome. Yeah. So that's how you write a wrong. I love it. That would, that gives me like chills just thinking about how cool that would be if they did. Yeah, yeah. that would be awesome. So, I'm not saying Marvel hasn't done anything yeah, to, and they, and they, to stomp out racism, but it's clear now that racist dickheads 
have co-opted your symbol. So if you could, maybe they've addressed that in some way, but it was just like not big enough of a story for me to hear about it. And if I don't hear about it and I'm a huge comic book fan, then it's uh, some good news out of nerd world. Not necessarily comic books, but I know what I've been looking forward to this like uh, Sony press conference. I'm a big video game head. Actually, I don't play a lot of video games, but I follow video game news more than I actually like play them. I'm, it's kind of kind of weird in that way. <laughs> I'm a technology buff, I guess you could say. But yeah, <laughs> but they were supposed to do a big game demo on Thursday and they canceled or postponed it for I'm not sure how much time or when it's going to get rescheduled. But the thought process behind it was that them announcing a bunch of new video games and their new system is something that's news cycle worthy and any voices that are clouding the Black Lives Matter movement kind of just need to pause for a second and let the voices that really need to be heard be heard. And there's a handful of other uh, video game companies and um, game makers that are doing the exact same thing with, uh, I guess it's like conference season and there was a couple releases planned and everyone's just taken a timeout on those things to let this be the story to let the story that needs to be the story and the voices that need to be the voices be do what I, they need I, to do. I saw some record labels take like day of pauses, like no day of no works and stuff. But yeah. I think that just straight up, just be like, we're not even, we're going to cancel our whole news cycle. Yeah. That's good. That's like, that's really what y- you should do. That's the beginning of, we had a discussion right before this about like, what's the difference between not being a racist and being an anti-racist. That to me looks like, a little bit towards the movement of anti-racism. Which I think is a step you're going to see a lot more people actively making. Like, can you, like, nobody did any stuff, anything like this for, you know, Michael Brown, right? Sony wasn't moving press conferences for that. And and, <laughs> and, and if you, if you were a person that was re- like really affected, I mean, I was, but like, I'm not a black person. Or a person of color, but if, if, if you had your live uprooted that time and then a handful of years later, it just happens again, you have to be feeling fucking helpless. Totally, yeah. And just saying like, fuck. Like, this again? Yeah. It's worse, you know? Right. And it's like, what, did we not do it well enough last time? Did we not right. shout loud enough? Yeah. Like, fix it. Uh, yeah. On to more comic book stuff um did you see about peach momoko having a little bit of her day in the sun you know what i've been interested in her variants for a long time but i was not expecting this a boatload of her comic books that were small print runs i'll give them that so sold in raw form for o- over hundreds of dollars. Uh, previous, these comics were worth maybe like 20 and 40 bucks. Right. If you don't know her style, 
she does um, very big, exaggerated like faces, and it looks as if she's using kind of colored pencils. Yeah. Um, a technique like that to do a lot of her shading. We are we've talked about her before, and we're big fans of her artwork and hunt down a lot of her comic books, especially her variants, especially ones when they're like on indie variants, including one of the books that we uh, did today. Uh, Disaster Inc. has a Pichumoko cover. Um, so she is selling big people have, I don't know what it is, but their comics have started to move units and that's good news for the comic book world, I think. Oh, totally. I know that like, you think about those artists that I've always followed for a long time that, you know, whenever so-and-so does a cover, um, it's worth picking up for you. And I know there's like a lot of old school comic book fans that might say, you know, maybe Arthur Adams doesn't do a ton of, you know, full comics anymore. But when he does a cover, now I'm picking it up. Um, I think for and, a lot of people, this is like the Art Germ or the Jenny Frizen. Right, exactly. Art Germ and Jen- Jenny Frizen are people who made that leap like really quickly. And for whatever reason, Peach Momoko is like, uh, seems like she has way more of a cult following. Or maybe it's just because... She has lesser of a sample size of comics, and people love that kind of anime style. Would you say that's right? Yeah, that, it definitely seems to be. I don't think she would be offended to say that there is some like inspiration. That, yeah, there. inspiration there in some ways. I think the shitty thing that when we talked about is that much like Trad Moore, every time that their artwork is discussed you can go look in the chat and somebody will be like childish her, i don't i don't get her artwork it's not for me yeah and it is so weird it will never not be weird to me that people want all artwork to look the same and they are offended by stylized artwork totally everyone want like there's a there's a large group of people in comic book fandom that i think want everything to be jim lee or jim lee adjacent like, I grew up loving that. That's what superheroes look like. Don't do anything else. <laughs> but to me, like, those really stylized things, one, makes you a standout artist, right? With a signature style, which is cool. It's not really easy for artists to just develop a signature style out of nowhere. It'd probably be easier for them to f- fall in with the pack and learn fundamentals of, like, this is how you make a proportionate head size. You know what I mean? Like, I, I like my comic books that aren't by the numbers. And it makes the whole, like, decade of comics have a more unique feel and vibe to them when you've got these stylized creators. It is such a, in a weird, like, empirical view of art and, like, this, like, idea of the human form being like the thing you master how to draw and like replicate and that's art as if art was some type of like sport that like you could just like get better at by like doing more of which sure I guess that that is true in some ways the more you draw you're going to be better but like if you have that what I value is that 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 twinge of creativity that you like to take risks and push limits um, to me, that's like what I want to see in comic books every time. Yeah, it's not fun for me to just agree with you, but I fucking 100% agree well, I, with that I, take. It, 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 tell me, I'm a metaphor guy, so let me t- tell me if this metaphor holds up. It's <laughs> like the guy that's like, 
uh, you only can lift weights if you want to work out. Cause lifting weights is the only way you're gonna get you're gonna get healthy. <laughs> I know this guy. All right, I'm I'm in so far. And then some other guys are like, but I like to run. I like to swim. I like to rock climb. I like to ride my bike. This guy's no, you, you you can do that, okay, if you want. But you gotta lift weights if you're gonna get anywhere. The most efficient, no fun. The most efficient way. Forget preferences. Yes, no no music. And you need you need to be drilling a hole in your head while you do it. You need to be in pain and suffer. You can think of your dead parents while you lift weights. What is the voice we're doing? <laughs> It's a lift weights guy, I think. Lifting weights guy. <laughs> Who's angry. I overpronunciate words. He definitely lives somewhere on the East Coast. I'm not sure yeah, where. Yeah, East Coast meathead. Yeah. We can say that because we're from the East Coast. Yep, we are. Yeah. Just two, two boys. <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> uh, did that do it for uh, the news? All right. Let's get the podcast started. That was it. I, like I that. guess. Yeah, you need more wind up? Disaster All right. First up, we're going to be talking about Disaster Inc. out on Aftershock Comics from Joe Harris and Sebastian Perez. Do you know much about joe harris so i know a little bit about joe harris um i know that he's a screenwriter and he did this comic book that i liked uh called rock stars which was about a bunch of yeah um rock stars that sold their soul to the devil i remember that book um and he did a book that i liked a lot called great pacific which um was a fun image book as well oh (laughs) Well, since you're his stalker, would you like to give the synopsis of this new one that he wrote? Uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about this comic book. This, this, is a, um, this is a travel agency that will take you to the destination that uh, could, be, could be bad for you. And they named themselves Disaster Inc. because of it. You got to be secret. You got to be vetted to go with them to some of the craziest places on earth. And the place that they're going is Fukushima, which was the the place of like a big nuclear fallout, kind of like that place in Russia that they did. Chernobyl, worse than Chernobyl. Worse than Chernobyl. Um, And there's, uh, yeah, I mean. That that was, Fukushima was only like 10 years ago. Isn't that wild? It feels like it was way longer ago. Yeah. I looked it it up because I was like, was I was like a kid when that happened, right? And I was like, no, I was a full adult. Shit, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so, and that's like that story alone wouldn't carry the comic book. So there's more that happens in, in the comic book, but that is the majority of the story is that it's a travel agency that takes you to different places. And this comic book, I think, is going to completely take place in Fukushima. I think so too. It seems to be the core. Um, I don't know if you'd call it a villain, monster, spirit, ghost. So that's, is, the, that's the part I didn't mention, is that a, a samurai ghost uh, chops your head off if you hang out there too long, more or less, is what we found out. Right. Which, I don't know if you're, like, disrespecting the area by hanging out there. 
All yeah. right. That seems that seems correct. Which it, I don't can you disrespect an area that's had like nuclear fallout? Is that like a sacred zone? Uh a lot of people died there who did not want to die. I think it's like kind of like, you know, the shores of D-Day or whatever. Yeah. So you got to be I, you got to be um Reverend, you gotta sh- you gotta show respect. Don't go there for fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can agree that it's irreverent to go there on like a fucking adventure. Yeah, totally. So, um, so I get it. Yeah, the ghost wants to kick you off and 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 have you uh, not be there. So they chop off your head. It. I mean, it's interesting that they mashed up two cool stories. I guess samurai ghost story with like a travel agency to the to the worst places on earth. Yeah. I so I kind of like uh, rabbit holed some of the Fukushima stuff. Oh, good! I want to hear this on the internet, and they use this phrase in the comic book, and I was like, "This sounds like too real to maybe not be a made up thing." But they call the um, guys who went in to clean up the what? What do you call it? The Fallout or the the meltdown or fallout, um, nuclear samurai, or yeah, like nuclear ninjas, something like that. And the book talks about how that it was the old older people that volunteered to do the cleanup because they were kind of just being like, my life is less valuable than younger people, which that's right. a fucking dope concept. Totally. So uh, initially, the companies there had hired like anyone willing to take a job to go into the site and clean up right but you're getting like colossal amounts of radioactivity um on these grounds and you know these people had like just started families or like obviously the whole town and area has just been obliterated so everyone needs a job right so if you were lucky enough to survive this thing you're just gonna get poisoned by the fallout because you're in a tough spot with money and you're going to get sent back in. So the community like made a point to say, Hey, you know, young families and people who survived this thing shouldn't be going back in and getting close to the, the meltdown. So I, I thought that was such a cool concept that there were these like warriors of legend that um, gave their lives to clean up this Nuc- is nuclear samurai. Wait, that we said, I think it's Nuclear Samurai. You're making me love this comic book. Whereas before, I think I was on the fence about it because one of the hard concepts I have about this comic book is there is no likable character. There's nobody to even really follow as a main character. It is all about the story. It th- That's a thing that happens a lot with stories that introduce a lot of people in the first issue is that you just don't feel a connection towards anybody. One of the interesting things is I wrote about Rogue Planet, which is the next book we're covering. One of the questions I had for oh, you was, did you connect with any of the characters? One of the questions I would, I would ask you about Rogue Planet is, name one character. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> Whereas in this comic, um, I can name two characters. Yeah, that's a good so, point. So Amarina is... I think the main character, we have like narration from her, which is inner um, monologue. This is a horror comic book. I love a good horror comic book. Are you are you a fan of horror in comics, Mike? No, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that I think it's really hard 
to be genuinely scary in a comic book. And I think 80% of comics that try to be scary are really bad at it. This was not scary at all. I will say that. No. In no way was this scary. So horror, it is not. But horror in genre, it might be. Like, it is not horrifying. Sure. I think I, I'm loving where the narrative is going and the scenario that's been placed in front of us is really interesting and I'm fine with it from from that angle. If it has like a monster ghost sort of theme in it um, that's going to end in some sort of like final destination, everyone gets hunted down one by one sort of horror movie way, um, I could also be down with that. They set this comic up that like most of the crew on the trip aren't people you'd want to have a beer with. Right. So I mean, it's a, it's, I'm saying so like, like, there's a lot of tropes here, and it seems like the classic like only one of these people is not going to die. Right. Who's the most redeemable of the shitty crew that's not going to fall victim to like the terror? Yeah, and it seems maybe is our narrator who live is living to tell the story. Yeah, seems like it. Yeah. So, anyway, Disaster Inc. on Aftershock. It's nice to have a good Aftershock book. Um, so, this is fun. Alright, next up on the docket, we've got a new offering from Oni Comics with Rogue Planet number one. Written by Cullen Bunn with Andy McDonald and Nick Filardi. This book is about an outer space salvage crew who answers a distress call on a mysterious planet. Whoa. Is this thriller. Not- sci-fi thriller. Is this not just aliens? It's a lot like aliens. It, it's I, the difference. I guess the difference between this book and aliens is that the planet is alive. It's a more like blatant, uh, scary monster story. Aliens is 100% a fucking scary monster story. No, I know it is, but it's got way more nuance, and it's like a slow burn thriller horror. Yes. The the beginning of this, like the little setup to what this comic book is, Yeah, is, is captivating. That fucking, like, that got me. I wanted to know what was up with that. They've got this, like, pyre of, like, eyeballs and... Papules. Well, it's that. It's not only that, but it's like it's a father and a son having a discussion, and then he slaughters his son for like sacrifice to the planet. And I was yeah. like, "Ooh, I like this." Did the son know it was coming? No, I don't think so. No, not the way it was written. I don't think yeah. the son knew. Right. If the son knew, it didn't make it any worse. I'll put it that way. Like it. Yep. It, it surprised me as a reader for sure. Yes. Agree. And then was, you then you go to like this whole cast of like this pirate ship of uh, of space marauders, and like there's so many of them introduced so fast, babbling that like I it it felt like a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the weakness of the book for me was that I just didn't connect or care for any of the characters because we so quickly got them into action and I had no clue who any of them were. 
a handful of faceless people in spacesuits, and I like really can't tell them apart now. They got into spacesuits quick. Can I say, before we move on to spacesuit adventure and exploration of this mystery planet, that one really original thing from this was the take on how they did like hypersleep when they're in like space traveling long distances and they're zonked out for like a couple months. Um, they've got some like mechanical interface on their heads that like pilots their bodies to in turn pilot the ship and keep the ship maintained. Did you gather that from the comic? I did not get that exactly. That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. You see the crew who looks like zonked and serious and out of it, and they're like operating the ship. And then they go back to the pods where they're supposed to rest and get into them. And that's when everybody like comes out of sleep and wakes up. So I thought that was just like, instead of like the whole thing self-piloting and they're just frozen for a couple months, I thought it was so cool that their bodies would be like active, right? Which scientifically, which this is a great thing in science fiction, it tries to kind of stick to science and reality a little bit, is that your muscles would really atrophy if you were just like in a tube. So the fact that this thing moves you around... Um, Makes a lot of sense. He's really smart, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the only bad thing about this comic book was it just needed, like, 30 more pages of, like, character discovery. Yes. And, it, and, and guaranteed you're going to get that in the next book, you know. Right. Two, three, four. This is, this is a book that's, like, Cullen's going to, like, let happen a little bit, you know. So as, as a first read, this comic book is a, is a little bit stiff. And yeah. it needs a little bit of loosening up, but it 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 reads like it's gonna go somewhere. Your advice is to stick with it. I think so. I mean, because we know Colin Bunn's a great writer. One, we know Colin Bunn's a great writer. Two, I love Oni Press. Yeah. Um, he's done books. He did um a book on Oni Press before, and they um they know how to publish books. I think that they like they they do it well. Um, and so I'm, I'm a big fan of that, I guess. So I think that I'm going to stick with it. I like instant ordered this book off of Midtown when I saw Cullen was on an Oni Press book because sometimes our shop doesn't pick up Oni Press. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, but I think that if you read this and you just like straight up number one on a, on a heap of pile of number ones, for me, my takeaway was I really, the, the, the first four pages rocked me. And I got an unsurprising ending with the crew that I hadn't really connected with that many people. And I, I don't like saying negative things about Colin Bunn. So <laughs> that's the extent of the mo that I'm going to diss this book. But I think that it, it has something for it coming afterwards and I'm stuck on it now. So we'll see. The artwork reminded me of uh, Kyle Stram's spread a little yeah, bit. with just like sure. how, how gory and graphic and like blood splattery it is. Yep. But also like the organs are anthropomorphic in some ways. Um, and like, that's a huge compliment because that is one of the best artistic comic books I've ever laid eyes on. Oh, especially if you like bloody gory stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Check out spread. So yeah. So that has this, the gore here is the, the X factor for me. In rogue planet. It's like zero to a hundred, both times you really encounter. Yeah. 
violence. Yeah, and I like that. That that, yeah. that is a good first issue move. Yeah. I I'll why, why don't I compare it to something that I did like that did this uh which was Drive. Ooh, my favorite did, movie. Is it your favorite movie? Yes, I know that's very broy of me. Um I for the most part I'm not enchanted by that movie by any means, but I thought the pacing of it to like bring you so down to earth and then throw you into such a crazy fucking violent scene made it seem like that much more real to have these like little mundane conversations and a lot of pauses that were just like a real life awkward, like we're hanging out and I don't know what to say. And we're sitting in silence to just going, Balls to the wall. So that's that's that director's like kind of signature. Nicholas is it Nicholas Wingding Ruffin? Um, Wingding? Yeah, isn't that weird? His fucking middle name is Wingding. I assume he gave it to himself. <laughs> I would hope. Um, but in Valhalla's Rising, um, and and all the, all the movies that he has done, Bronson, it like, it's like slow, 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 epic fucking violence. Slow, yeah. slow, 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 slow. And it works. It is a, it's a directorial move that works. It's a, it's, in a lot of ways, first issues are like movies, <laughs> and you get one chance, yeah, to get people. Um, so yeah, this this comic book had a lot going for it, and I think that uh, it is worth it to me to stay with it. If this were, this is one of those rare things, where if this wasn't Colin Bunn, I would likely it just would have kind of faded for me. But I'm like, he's a good enough writer, a great writer in the horror realm of, of the, his type of stuff that he knows. Um, yeah. that I want to see where he goes with this. I haven't read a ton of sci-fi that he's done. So um, I'm, I kind of want to, as a fan of Cullen, I wanna, I'm going to give Let This Breathe and see where it goes. It's a good, good call. I, interesting. When we uh, interviewed Cullen, um, he was telling us that, like, with all of his indie pubs that he does stuff with, because he does stuff with almost every publisher. Yes. He has, like, a little notebook of just, like, one-off ideas. Right. And he's like, take a pick, like, whichever one you want. So yeah. I'm like, curious, <laughs> like, what he had written for this one, where it was, like, li- Living Planet, Space Pirates Discover. Yeah. Or something. And Oni was like, yeah, I want that one. You know? like Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds cool. cool. Yeah. And it does. It does sound cool. So... <laughs> Um, and for the most part, it was cool. It makes me wonder if there's things in that notepad that he's written down that he feels more or less passionate about. I think he is a content machine. Right. He writes so many things that do you spend so much of your creative time creating depth and building characters in one narrative and then in another one of your comic books, you know, it's dull to write the same thing over and over again. So this one, you throw a bunch of characters at us and have a, tell a different type of story. And maybe it reads better as a graphic novel. Well, I don't know. I mean, we, we did some spec on uh, Karen Gillan on one of these last episodes. And then he yep. actually fucking listened to our episode and tweeted us an answer <laughs> back. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't want to get too much in the psyche of uh, of Cullen on this one. But, I, yeah, but I do think that 
in The Sixth Gun, which is my favorite book by him, he wrote a very long, over many years epic. So he, he has that in him yes. to, to do that. And then I think he also is like, I got a bunch of maxis like in me as well. And, I'm, and, I, yep. and, I, and I play no favorite. I have no favorite children. I will do them both equally. And that's kind of what makes him one of the, one of the better writers. Yep, agree. Love you, Cully Bunny. Cully. Ugh, a terrible nickname. Sorry, I just tried one on the fly, and that's what came out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah, he probably doesn't. He's probably so sick of being called Colin. Oh, totally. <laughs> Any version of Colin that's not just Colin, he's like, you're going to fucking get my name right. It is Colin. <laughs> um, yeah. I, that's all I got. Cool. Budget King, signing off. And Mike D signing off. This has been First Issue Club. Bye!